Uh, it's under the sand, yeah. Okay. Some wounds weren't bad. He's like, yeah. hello. Hello, hello, hello. You were snoozing? No, I gotta do Snoozelkins? All right. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know when we're leaving. But uh, that's just a video after the greeting. It's just like another little welcome. It's. I just thought the f the video was cool. That's all it was. It basically just does that. It just pops up and then just sparkles for a little bit. I'm gonna have to give her a hug today. Just so I know. Yeah, no. Yeah. So once it gets set up like that, if you just want to move through it, you can just move through it. I just like, ooh, pretty. <laughs> wasn't even on purpose. All right, we ready? Oh yeah, I gave her the uh, the closet she needs. Oh hello, that's that's on. Wow. Hello. Amazing. Hello. How many shoes do I have, Haley? Do do do. Uh, coffee probably. I, I think that's about it. Yep. Hello. Testing. Sounds great. Glory. Yeah. What are we doing first? Okay. Should we, we have get through a couple of verses of it? Um, okay. Let's do a verse and chorus of each. Yeah, there's no, there's no um, bridge in this. Yeah, just verse and chorus. Amen. Yeah, two two All right, we're starting on verse two, okay? Yes. Yep. Uh -huh. the choir. Yep. In Christ program. alone, and we're doing that oh, no. one. And Lamb of God. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna have. I think. What is it? The uh, In Christ alone, and the greeting. And then after the greeting, you can just come back up. Um, I, are we, yeah. Are we staying up for the pastoral prayer and the proclamation? Yeah. No. No. Okay. The pastoral prayer and then the proclamation. Whenever that's the down, prayer and then the message. So. Forever. Yeah. We stay up here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, ready? We'll stay up here for all. Verse ready. two, verse two and chorus. It said something about going down. We see your kingdom first. We hunger and we thirst. Refuse to waste our lives for your joy. Oh, my. 
first two pre-course course? Yep. <clears throat>
I can never sing the right note, guys. Maybe let her let him do, do it, it and then jump in. James, I'm not singing the first note. I'm letting you do the first note. Okay, and then I'll yeah. Get it. I, I was like, that. you get it every time. <laughs> I always want to sing harmony. I, that's exactly what you're, yeah, you're, yeah, you're defaulting to. <laughs> I don't think we need to do In Christ Alone. No, I think no. we're good with In Christ Alone and Lamb of God. Which are the last two. We're starting with the the powerhouse one. Yeah. So the rest of those aren't aren't gonna be here. <laughs> so these are all the way, the behold, and oh, forever's powerhouse one. That one's okay. Good morning, Mister Brehunt. I'm trying to drill it, kill it, drill it. <laughs> I was listening to it in the car and I think it was in a different key. So then I'm like trying to play it on my head, but then I'm some different key, so it's just not like I think I have to sing it. Some head voice today, I'm like you said. I got some allergies and clogs. Lemons. Look at these laughing Okay, do we want to go through in Christ alone or in Lamb of God or no? Okay, great. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, these are all like a first ever. That's weird. confident when you say it though. Yeah, like, oh, it's hysterical. Really this, yeah. <laughs> oh, in between. <laughs> well, I mean, didn't you say that the chorus is going to be coming up in between two songs? Um, Jordan, you get a spot right there. Because, yeah, they're coming uh-huh. up between That's Jesus, fine. thank you. Like, after Whatever Jesus, thank you, they're not doing it. And then they're coming in for In Christ Alone, right? Awesome. One more swipe. Yeah, there's one coming up. I get the flu, Tom. You'd only get the flu if you licked your suit, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> People don't do that. Look, it's minty fresh. I have yeah. a piece of gum in it. You said I didn't get gum on your... <laughs> I know. But I mean, the point I'm trying to make is <laughs> we're trying to fill that time so we could play, we could finger prick oh, in Christ alone. Because that's probably going to be the longest transition is getting them from here because we're already going to be up here. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's how China says. I'm not paying
show up our Easter wreath.
Well, friends, as we uh, go to worship this morning, our call to worship uh, comes from a, a mix of passages, and it says this, Christ is risen from the dead. Alleluia. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mystery over him or mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Would you please stand with us or sit, whatever makes you comfortable, as we sing songs to the Lord. We're going to sing Build Your Kingdom here.
Good morning, church. As we, be, as we continue our service, we'll be reading from Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up like him, <clears throat> a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he has uh, had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and, he was, and, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like the sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and made and they made his grave with uh, with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had not done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Let's move into our prayer of confession. Um. So what's basically going to happen now is I'm just going to kind of open up and I'm going to pause for a couple seconds, let you guys kind of um, confess to yourselves, and then at the end I'll uh, close. Father, we come before you now uh, in this time that we have together as um, servants of you in the time of confession. God of all ages, from whom generation to generation has heard the cries of your children, humbly seeking forgiveness, and has welcomed the sinners back into your embrace, hear the thoughts of our hearts, examine our motives, and forgive us our faults. We ask this through your Son, who died and rose, that we might know the true cost of forgiveness. Amen. Good morning. Pardon me. Um, so I'm going to do a scripture reading of Romans um, chapter 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace, in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps <clears throat> for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So now I'm going to do a prayer of uh, praise. Father, we come before you this morning, um, this Easter morning, this Resurrection Sunday. Lord, and we praise you, and you are certainly worthy of praise each and every day, every moment of every day. Um, but as we, as Christians, think of what you accomplished on this day all those years ago, Lord, the, we just praise you so much for loving us enough to send your son to, to die uh, on a cross in humiliation, but that he would go and defeat death, Lord, and be risen and resurrected. And it is the very foundation of our faith. Without what happened on this day, our faith is null and void. And we would be pitied among all people if not for the truth of your resurrection. So, Lord, we just uh, we praise you again for, for who you are, for loving us, for sending your son. We praise you for Jesus being obedient and a willing servant, even though he is fully God and king and creator of the universe, he was willing to go to the cross and die for us, Lord. And we just praise you so much that we have, we have that faith and that we have that assurance. And Lord, there's just uh, nothing else that, that compares to that. And we just ask that we would remember this every day, not just on Easter, um, but that we would, again, praise you uh, every moment of every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, if you would uh, rise and sing with us or sit, whatever is comfortable for you, and we continue to worship the Lord this morning. We've, we've sung songs about God's kingdom and how he is going to bring a kingdom that will never end. Uh, we have sung about the resurrection, that through Christ, uh, God's glory has been displayed. And, and so the, we continue through worship as now we've heard from God's word. Uh, the suffering servant who has come to establish this kingdom, that through Christ we have received reconciliation, and now we focus on the person of Christ, bringing him thanks, and then focusing on our salvation through his work and his work alone.
right, guys, uh, we want to invite you to greet one another in the Lord. We've got three minutes. Grab a cup of coffee. Please bring it into the sanctuary. That is totally okay by us. Freedom. Christ has set us free. Amen. Uh, greet one another in the Lord.
Hey. Duke Silver. All right, friends, let's make our way back to our seats here. <laughs> Rob's like, more, more, more. <laughs> All right. Greeting time might be my favorite time in the worship service just to hear all the energy and see all the people coming together. But uh, as we continue to worship the Lord this morning, uh, we're going to continue in, in song uh, through the song, The Lamb of God. Jesus has come. He's died in our place. He has spilt his blood. His blood has covered us and it has made us righteous uh, in God's sight. So if you would please stand with us, sit, whatever's comfortable for you as we continue to worship God through song. Place. Your blood poured out 
Bible to Mark chapter 16. We are going to be preaching the resurrection account of the gospel of Mark this morning. And as we come to this account, it makes me think of if you could have one thing in your life, one thing in your life that would totally overwhelm you, just one thing that maybe you're going through right now, one piece of good news, one problem solved, one immediate fix to an existing problem, uh, it would be amazing, right? Uh, Rachel and I, we just finished our project at our house. We were refinishing some floors, and the one thing we needed to wrap up this project was a square buffer. Now, I, I heard from some friends that True Value, Ace, uh, over in Willimantic, rents out tools. And so I go over to Ace, and I, I start looking around, and, and I, I go up to the desk, and I say, hey, I need this tool. And the lady goes, all right, that's it. We've got that. I'll get that. I'll bring it out for you. It's going to be $100 to rent. No problem. I'm thinking, sweet, solution to all of my problems. This one last piece that I need to finish up for this project is ready to go. And I load it up in the car, and I bring it home, and I say to Rachel, I don't think this is the right machine. (laughs) And she looks at it, I look at it, and we say to one another, yeah, this is not the right machine. Uh, It was not a square buffer, it was an orbital sander. So, uh, yeah, if you see an orbital sander, it's got four, you know, little circles on it with sandpaper that you Velcro onto it. And, uh, yeah, that doesn't really work when you're trying to poly hardwood floors, right? That's kind of like rips everything up and starts you all over again. So I had to load it back up in the car. We were on a time crunch. I had already laid the first layer of poly down. I get in the car. I drive to Lisbon to Home Depot again. And uh, the, the guy that's been helping us out all week, Jared, not the subway Jared, Home Depot Jared, different. He comes out and he says, hey, I've got that tool for you. And I felt like I hit the jackpot. I was like, yes, they have got it. But I needed one more thing. The sander is this buffer. You have to attach this foam piece to the bottom of it. So I put the foam on the bottom of it. And I go over and I need 220 grit uh, screen. Right? So like sandpaper, but not really like sandpaper. So I need this screen. And I- I'm going over and I'm like, Jared, where is the screen? And he goes, oh, well, let me look around. And he looks around for five or ten minutes, and I start to get nervous. And my heart's, you know, palpitating, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, how are we going to finish this? Rachel is already upset. <laughs> this is not going to be good. We've got to finish this project up. And uh, I go to get the screen, and it looks like there's none left. And uh, I continue to freak out, continue to have this moment where I say, oh, boy, how is this going to work? And then Jared comes around the corner, and he goes, I have one left in the entire store. And God blessed us as we finished that project. (laughs) But all of my hope lied in one little piece of screen, a two-foot by one-foot piece of metal that was going to help me finish my floor. And as I needed one piece, I'm in Home Depot with a plethora of different sandpapers, a plethora of different materials, a plethora of tools, and... The one thing that I needed was right in front of me. Friends, many of us come to the Easter morning with the one thing that we need that's in front of us. The one person that we need in front of us in Jesus Christ. And he comes and he purchased our redemption. And the good news is he didn't just start the work, he finished the work. So this morning as we look into Mark's gospel we're going to hear good news that Jesus has come 
And the big idea for our message this morning is this, is that Jesus is the Son of God who has come to die for our sins. He was buried, and three days later, God did the impossible work of raising him from the dead and sealing our redemption and our salvation. See, to Christianity, the message of the resurrection is one of the most important doctrinal pieces that we believe as the church. If Jesus does not rise from the dead, friends, we are still dead in our sins and trespasses. If Jesus died and he did not rise from the grave, he would not have finished the work of our salvation. Our salvation is accomplished not only because of Jesus' death, which is a major component of the work of our salvation, but because of Jesus' resurrection. And so this morning I'm going to uh, proclaim to you the resurrection, and I'm also going to work through some different uh, thoughts that are in the secular world, uh, how people try to wrestle and fight back against the resurrection and, and provide you with some hope that he has risen indeed. No matter what anyone tries to say that The resurrection of Jesus is historical fact, and it is something that we can celebrate this morning. And as we heard on Friday, as Jesus was put to death by the cross, as Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid, we read in Mark 16, verses 1 through 8, this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. And so there are a few things that I just want to point out about the text in itself. As we see the the text that's in front of us, Mark's gospel, uh, first noting, if you've noticed, if you're reading in your Bibles, many sections of the Bible in in verses 9 through 20 have these two brackets that are next to them. And there's a little note that says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include Mark. 16 verses 9 through 20. A lot of scholars that I trust, uh, that I would say have really good work and, and actually believe the Lord and trust in the Lord, would say that the last verses, verses 9 through 20, are not part of Mark's original gospel. They were added on later. Um, so verses 1 through 8 would be the conclusion of Mark's gospel. And there's a whole textual note. If you want to geek out about that, I would love to talk with you about that. It's up my alley. Uh, so if you're interested at all about why the, the, lo- the endings of Mark are short or long, let's have a conversation. It's a lot of fun. Um, but more importantly, let's look at what has happened right after Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, the text tells us in verse 1 that the Sabbath has passed, and Sabbath day is Saturday. 
And it says that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. So after Jesus' burial, we see Mary Magdalene and another Mary, Mary, mother of Joseph, who could have also been James, uh, and another person named Salome, they go to the tomb. They have seen Jesus' crucifixion. They have been firsthand witnesses to what has happened to Jesus. They have seen the place where he has been buried, a tomb that's been donated by Joseph of Arimathea, and they, they go and they want to go to the tomb to anoint him with oil. As they go to the tomb, this is an act of pure devotion. As we see, what they're doing here is they're bringing spices. Well, why are they bringing spices? They're bringing spices to the tomb because the, the process of decomposition would have started in the body of Jesus. And uh, Israel, in Israel, the, the process of decomposition happened very quickly in these tombs. The body started to disintegrate, and the smell would get very putrid. And as they come to the tomb, they go with these spices to anoint him and basically help cover up the smell. Now, as we were going through our project in our house, as we were working on finishing these floors and sanding everything and polying everything, we encountered one section of our stairs, right at the top of the stairs, where we had had carpet that had been laid in our hallway. Well, the, the previous owners of the home laid the carpet, and they put this adhesive underneath the carpet to help it stick to the top of the stairs. And as we started to pull this up, this was the one section, like a three-by-three section of our house, where there was all this sticky goo, and it was disgusting. And everybody told us, the stain's going to smell really bad, the poly's going to smell really bad, you're probably not going to want to stay there. And, And let me tell you, the stain wasn't that bad. The poly wasn't really that bad. But what was horrible was the paint stripper. That was disgusting. We had to lay this stuff on, and it literally works in 15, 20 minutes, and then you scrape it all off, but it leaves behind this scent that is, ugh. It just makes you want to puke. We had all of our windows open, everything in the house. We had fans going. Rachel's just like, is this going to end? What's happening here? We need to get rid of this, right? And as they come to the tomb, there's a body decomposing, right? And I think, you know, just going out on a whim here, it probably smelled way worse than the paint stripper. But they go and they want to anoint him, and they do this out of an act of devotion. The process of anointing, you start with oil that is is dripped on someone's head, and it goes down their entire body. Now, this was not the process of mummification. The Jews did not believe in mummification in the first century. I think they still don't believe it today. Um, but as they, as they go, they want to devote themselves to Jesus. They have just seen him be crucified. They've seen him been buried. They've followed him. They have been with him through this entire process, and, and they want to continue to honor him and love him. And they go out of hearts of devoted people to this tomb. And in verse 2, it tells us very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they go to the tomb. Uh, Just a textual note here, very early on in the first day. Scholars say that this this note here about it being very early on is troublesome because uh, very early on would have been between the the hours of 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. 
And I don't know about you, I don't try to wake up at 3 a.m. or 6 a.m. really ever. Um, But the sun doesn't shine then. And what we find out is that they had gone when the sun had risen, the second half of that verse. So the troublesome note, the point is that they go early in the morning to the tomb. The sun has risen, and they, they go, and they say to one another, who will roll away the stone? This stone is massive. The text says it's very large, really detailed, huh? <laughs> and it says it's a massive stone. In fact, what these three people, these two people don't understand is that after Jesus' death and burial, that the, the chief priests and the scribes actually sent to the Romans and, and wanted this tomb to be sealed. The tomb was sealed with a stone that was impossible for anyone to move. And they went an even further step. They sent guards to watch the tomb. We find this in Matthew's gospel. And so as they come, they they think that they're going to encounter guards in a large tomb, and they're going to have them roll back this stone, and they're going to say, who's going to do this for us? We can't do it. And then in verse 5, or verse 4, they come to the tomb. It says, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And again, it says, it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Just picture this for a moment. This person who has died, He's been buried. He's been set away in a tomb. And actually to enter into the tomb, not only do they have to roll back the stone, but there are two chambers that they have to go through. The first is like your foyer, your lobby. And then there's an antechamber. And then there's the place, the chamber of burial. And to get into the chamber of burial, you actually have to go through like a two-foot tall doorway to get into this place. It's been sealed. There's been guards. But the stone is away. The burial door is open, and they walk into this place, and they see a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they're alarmed. Well, if I was in their shoes too, I would be very scared. (laughs) This is a shocking experience. First, they come to the tomb with a sense of, of defeat almost, a sense of the weight of this task. They're coming to something. They want to be devoted to Jesus. They love him. They see the the stone that's in front of them, and they say, this is an impossible task for us to roll this away. How are we going to do this? Two ladies, and I don't know who Salome is, but two small ladies trying to roll away a stone. The stone's rolled away. They come in, and there's a young man sitting on the right side, and their hearts flutter. And they're alarmed. This impossible task has been completed. But what has happened? Has somebody robbed the body of Jesus? Has somebody come in? Who is this guy? He's dressed in white. Are we in trouble? And in verse 6, this young man speaks and he says, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who's been crucified. So you got a a scary young man 
You don't know anything about him. He's in the tomb, and the first thing he says is, don't be afraid, right? Thankfully, Rachel and I have not scared each other enough in our house yet, where we, uh, you know, one of us has come home early and been able to pop out on someone else. But if you walked into your home, you walked into a place that you were going to, and you found somebody there that wasn't supposed to be there, you would be shocked. And if they said, don't be afraid, you're going to be like, what are you talking about? But note the detail that this man speaks with. He says, not only is he sitting there, he says, you're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. He's not just saying, hey, you're seeking Jesus, the good teacher, or Jesus, the guy that's performed miracles, or Jesus, one of the prophets that's been set. He's saying, you're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. Oh, by the way, further than that, that was the Jesus who was crucified. He was crucified as the king of the Jews. You're seeking him. And now their alarms are going even louder. Do not be alarmed. Do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Then he goes on to say, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Mark's entire ending to his gospel lays right here. It, this is the crucial verse. Verses 5 and 6 are the crucial verses to the ending of the gospel of Mark. This is not a call to, to come to faith. This is a call to see the work of faith in action. These people who have come with devotion, they've come and, and they've been inspired and and set into awe as they stand into a place where they're astonished and they're afraid and they don't know what's happening. And someone, an angel sent by the Lord, a young man clothed in white, he speaks and he says to them, do not be alarmed. Let's think back to the encounters that various figures in the Old Testament have experienced with angels. Moses As he experienced the presence of the Lord in the burning bush. Or Daniel and the three young men through the fiery furnace and the fourth figure. And then there's that account of the guy with the donkey in numbers. And the donkey sees the angel and keeps going away and he's getting mad and the angel comes and he speaks to him and he falls on his face. And he goes and he sees them. And this angel speaks in Mark 16. And he reveals God's work. He reveals what God has done. God has raised Jesus from the dead. He has taken a person who has been dead, not just wounded or bruised and unconscious. Jesus was dead and sat in a tomb for two, three days. His body would be smelly. But God has done the seemingly impossible. He's rolled away the stone. He's opened the burial chamber. He has sent his messenger to tell these people, Jesus of Nazareth is my son. He has done what he said he will do. 
He has risen. See the place where they've laid him. See what God has done. And then he continues, not only by revealing the truth of what God has done, but sending these women. In verse 7 it says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And from our study from the Gospel of Mark, our our mind should be bringing back some things that we've heard. Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus' transfiguration in Mark 9, as Jesus stands in, in in His glory, radiant glory exposed, and the clouds open and God speaks and says, This is my Son. Listen to Him. And we hear again in Mark 16, in verse 7, Go and tell the disciples what has happened. Go to Galilee. He will be there just as He told you. Confirmation again and again of Jesus' identity. This isn't just some guy. This isn't just some teacher. It isn't just some prophet. It isn't some miracle worker. This is the Son of God. And the response in verse 8, they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. The angel reveals God's work. Then he sends these individuals to go to the disciples and tell them what has happened. And their response is, that they're overwhelmed with trembling and astonishment. This isn't just some fluke accident. This is something that has shaken their souls. The work of God shakes our souls in such a way that we're astonished. There's three responses to the resurrection that we see in Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. The first is that response of devotion. As these women went to the tomb, as they went to anoint Jesus' body, we see that as believers in Christ, if we believe in what Jesus has done in his death, burial, and resurrection, our first response is to be devoted to him, to set him apart as Lord and no one else. It's why that we sang the song this morning in Christ alone. In Jesus alone, our hope is found. In Jesus alone, our salvation is accomplished. So we start, first and foremost, as believers with a response of devotion. And as I was working through my floors this week, this was one of those projects you had to be devoted to. You had to see it from beginning to end. I'm pretty sure Rachel would be really upset with me if I had just left half of the floors undone. You guys would probably be housing me up for a few weeks. (laughs) Or if I had started a paint job and only finished half of the paint job. That's not the completed work. Jesus not only begins the work, he finishes the work. He begins, completes, and finishes it. 
We're to respond to the work of Jesus in the resurrection through devotion. Jesus, our lives, our hearts, our everything is yours. Second, we're to be in awe of who Jesus is. These young people in verses 4 and 5 come and they're amazed because they see the stone has been rolled back and they're alarmed by this young man who's sitting in a white robe. If they respond out of someone who is an angel and is not Jesus with amazement, can we imagine the picture of seeing the risen Christ? We would be filled with awe and wonder. Literally, the one thing this seems impossible for us to understand as humans, is how can somebody be dead and then brought back to life? This is a work of God. We're to be in awe of who God is, that God can speak creation into existence, that he speaks in the, in the mountains, in the waters, seas. The God who sends his Son sends him to go to an impossible mission to die on a cross. The God takes someone who is dead and gone and considered to be outdone by everyone else, and God brings him from death to life. This is the power of God on display. The resurrection is the power of God displayed. It's the ultimate picture. The ultimate picture of God's work He saves us and then He resurrects Jesus. What an amazing picture. And another response to the resurrection is the response that we go and tell. Just as this angel tells these young people, go tell his disciples that He is risen. Go tell Peter. It's interesting that Mark brings Peter back up here in in chapter 16 because literally from Mark 14 into 15 and now all the way into 16, Peter has not been mentioned whatsoever. The last time we see Peter in Mark's gospel is when he betrays Jesus by denying him three times. Jesus prophesies and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. And we see this picture of failure where Peter falls short. But what Mark tells us here is that this angel says, God's not done with Peter. Go and tell him what he has done. Though he could have failed and though he could be rejected, I'm not rejecting him, I'm going to use him. Go and tell him to go to Galilee and you'll see Jesus just as he told you. And their response is one that's appropriate, of trembling, astonishment and amazement. This is how we're to respond to the resurrection, in devotion and in awe, and by going and proclaiming this amazing work of God. But you and I both know that we also encounter troubles as we try to proclaim our faith in the world that we live in. If you watch the History Channel and you've seen any of their work on the person of Jesus, let me tell you, uh, I'll, I'll do you a favor. Stop watching it. These History Channel guys have no idea what they're talking about. They try to, but they just proclaim 
false news after false news, that Jesus is not anybody worth listening to. Here are some ways that people try to respond to the resurrection. First, they try to say that Jesus' resurrection is false. They try to say that he didn't actually do that. That his resurrection is fiction. And there's some naturalistic theories that try to explain away the resurrection of Jesus. Here's, Here's just a few of them for your amusement and for you to chew on. The first is called the swoon theory. This is the theory that Jesus did not really die, but he fainted because of the enormous physical punishment that he suffered. So he he just fainted, and then he was put away in a tomb, and later he regained consciousness, and then he unwrapped his grave clothes, and he moved aside the large stone all by himself that sealed the tomb, and he emerged bruised and bleeding. But he convinced his followers that he had risen from the dead. That's one theory. The second is a spirit theory. This is the, the theory held by the Jehovah's Witness cult. It says that Jesus was not raised bodily, but he returned in a spirit form. He didn't actually physically resurrect. Then there's the hallucination theory. That Jesus had preconditioned his disciples to hallucinate by means of hypnosis. Effectively, he conditioned them to hallucinate his appearances in response to certain prearranged cues. If I do this, then you're going to respond like this. Then there's the vision theory. This is the theory that the disciples had experiences they interpreted or understood to be literal appearances of the risen Jesus. The disciples saw visionary appearances of the risen Christ, and he communicated to them a call and a mission. They were just seeing things. Then there's the legend or myth theory. This is where the History Channel gets it wrong, the Jesus Seminar. All of these stories were exaggerated over time. And throughout the centuries, they've just been overemphasized and overcommunicated in ways that have just totally missed the picture of what really happened. See, the resurrection is just a wonder story indicating the significance that Jesus was mythical and that his followers were deceived by him. Then there's a stolen body theory. This is the theory where the soldiers who guarded Jesus' tomb were bribed by the Jewish leaders to lie and to say that his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. The only problem with that is if that actually happened, the Roman soldiers would have been killed. Then there's the wrong tomb theory. This one's really good. This is the belief that the resurrection rests on a simple mistake. The women went to the wrong tomb. Then there's the lie for profit theory. This is offensive. That Jesus' death by crucifixion was a disappointment to the disciples. And they saw it as a way to turn his life and his death for profit. So they told this story to make money. Then there's the mistaken identity theory. The women misunderstood or mistook someone else to be Jesus. That's almost as bad as the stolen body and the wrong tomb theory. Then there's the twin theory. This one's good. Jesus had an identical twin brother, and he was crucified. And then there's the Muslim theory, that the biblical witness of Jesus' crucifixion is false. 
that God provided a substitution for Jesus. And perhaps even made that person to look like Jesus. But there are a few things that all scholars, all scholars, a number of historical facts that surround Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. All scholars, most scholars would acknowledge these as fact. First, Jesus died on a Roman cross by crucifixion. Most scholars would agree to that. Second, they would agree that Jesus was buried in a tomb not far from the crucifixion site. Third, Jesus' Jesus's death threw the disciples into despondency. They believed that their Lord was dead. Fourth, Jesus' tomb was discovered to be empty shortly after his burial. Did you catch that one? Most scholars would agree that Jesus' tomb was empty after his burial, shortly after his burial. Fifth, the disciples had real experiences that convinced them that Jesus had risen from the dead and was alive. So not only was the tomb empty, but his disciples had real experiences. Interesting. Sixth, these experiences with the risen Jesus radically transformed the disciples into bold witnesses for him. Not only did they see an empty tomb, not only did they have real experiences, but they were transformed and made bold in such a way that most of them died deaths as martyrs. Is it just some sort of folklore that somebody would believe something so much that they'd be willing to die for it? It's interesting. Seventh, the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was the heart of the gospel from the beginning. The good news message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was the message of the gospel from very early on in Christianity. Eighth, this gospel was preached in Jerusalem. That's the city where Jesus was crucified and buried. Ninth, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection was the foundation and birth of the church. The church started on the message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So not only did people see this, not only did they proclaim it, a church started from this. Tenth, Sunday became the day of worship for the church as a celebration of the Lord's resurrection. Eleven, you want to see something real personal? James, the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus, was converted. He became a follower of Jesus and then a leader in the church. And then twelfth, Saul, the great persecutor of the church, who was a Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, one who was vehemently opposed to Christians, was converted to Christianity following the experience of the risen Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, was crucified for our sin. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave. This is the good news of Christianity. 
And because of what Jesus has done, we now have a way to be in right relationship with God. And the question is, will we start? Will we walk with him today? And if you've been following Jesus for some time, remember these three responses to the resurrection. Respond with devotion. Is your love and devotion, your affection for Jesus growing? Second, are you in awe of what God does? No work of God is just small. It's incredible. Third, would you go and tell others of this good news that Jesus has died, that he was buried, and he rose from the grave, and that if we repent, if we turn from our sin, and we trust in Jesus' work, that we can have life in him. And not just life, eternal life. These are the responses for us as believers. And if you have not come to a place in your life where you have trusted in Jesus for your salvation, your response this morning is to become a Christian. And that comes by recognizing Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection really happened. And it's not just some story that people have told over and over again to exaggerate. It's a story in which we find our hope. It's a story in which God does the impossible. And the good news is, is that you can't work your way into a right relationship with God, but Jesus has made the way for you. And you just have to turn, to turn from your wrongdoing and your sin and trust in him. Would you trust him this morning? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what Jesus has done. We thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection. And as the church, we proclaim that this work is the work that we celebrate as the anchor of who we are, the anchor of the church, the anchor of Christianity. We pray this morning that you would help us as we respond in devotion and in awe and by going and telling others. God, we pray that those responding to the gospel for the first time would continue in conversation with people here. We continue by coming next week and hearing more. And Lord, we pray as we conclude by singing in response that you would continue to do your work in and through the church that we would make much of Jesus, that his name would be known and his work would be proclaimed and that lives would be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Well, church, now we're going to invite you to respond.